All right, we want to welcome you all this morning. Uh, good to have you here with us, and we trust that uh, God's work will be done in our hearts in our time of meeting this morning. So we have a couple of quick announcements for you uh, related to some events that are forthcoming. So Saturday, December 9th is our movie night. We're doing the movie, I Heard the Bells. We have the lead actor from that movie coming to present the story behind that. So the way it's gonna work next Saturday is our doors will open at 5.30. There will be coffee and uh, some desserts shared, and then the movie time will begin around 6.30. Okay, so that's next Saturday night. On December 17th, we're doing a choir presentation. I think our choir is going to be 30 plus people. We're doing a joint choir event with the ladies from the Walter Hoving Home and then the folks that are involved with our musical department here at the chapel. So that'll be next Sunday. No, that's two weeks away. Sorry. December 17th. Okay. So you're all clear on that. The other thing we want to do on Sunday, December 17th, is to have a meeting with parents of children in our church. So we're working on some children's ministry development. We want to get your feedback and input on that. So that meeting will take place after the service on December 17th, okay? So I want to do something real quick. If you look up on the stage, you should say, who are they? Okay, because you probably don't recognize anybody up here except for Abby, okay? So Abby started uh, college at Karen University in Philadelphia. <laughs> and oh, well, yeah, well. <laughs> Sorry. And Dave, I said, Dave, you look so out of place. Right? Chronologically out of place. <laughs> but his heart is committed. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> I, I, I didn't put that in my notes, so here we go. So I'm going to share with you the names of these young people so you know who they are and where they're from. I'm not giving you their last names because you're not going to remember them. So Ben is uh, playing acoustic guitar. He's from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And then Zach on electric from Altaboro, Massachusetts, right? Did I get that? Okay. Josh on sax from Tabernacle, New Jersey, another New Jersey young man. And then Lydia is from Pitt, Pennsylvania. Thomas is uh, back there taking Don Wagner's place. If Don has an irritated look on his face today, it's because somebody's in his spot. And then uh, obviously Abby Lamore, who is uh, one of the young ladies from our church family. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to read for you a portion of scripture as we enter into our season of worship this morning. Uh, and I want to ask you this question as I read this text. I went through this with the kids in Sunday school. Do I live conscious of God's presence? Right? Do I live each moment, each day conscious that God is with me and that God is for me? Psalm 139 says this. It says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know my thoughts from far away. You know my path when I lie down. You are intimately familiar with all my ways. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come together this morning, uh, we come for a very uh, solemn purpose, and that is to acknowledge your presence as a God who is absolutely holy, 
and unapproachable, yet through his Son we draw near. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, we want to join our hearts together in songs of praise to exalt and glorify your name. And as you are exalted, I pray that our hearts will be, through the work of Christ, attracted, very powerfully attracted to you and comforted by the intimate knowledge that you have of every one of us. Despite our sinfulness, through the work of Jesus, by faith through repentance, you can change us and you can draw us near and you can use our lives for your glory. So we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we are grateful for uh, every person that is here this morning. And God, I know that you know things about each person in front of me. You know about the struggles. You know about the fears, the concerns, the anxieties, and the joys. You know them all. So Lord, let us rest in your presence today as we sing your praises, as we declare the glory of who you are. I want to thank you for your protection over Kim and Pam and Joe as they went out to uh, bury their brother in Wyoming. Thank you for your grace and favor that was so beautifully poured out through your church body in Wyoming. Uh, Lord, thank you for that. And we continue to lift up our sister, uh, Linda Matthews and uh, Diana Kelly. God, we just, uh, you know them today. I pray that they will rest in your presence and they will trust in your healing power, which we just simply pray over them today. Thank you for the work that you have done in their lives, that you've done through their lives in their struggle as they have drawn near to you. Now, Lord, we ask that as we sing, we will, we will honor you and adore you and worship you as your people today. And through it, encourage our hearts, glorify your name. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together.
shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Yeah, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, once again, the privilege of coming into your presence, Lord, and to sing praises unto you. Lord, we thank you again, Lord, for those that you've inspired to write these beautiful songs, Lord, that turn our hearts towards you and allow us to express back to you, Lord, um, our love for you and appreciation for your grace and your mercy and your continued love for us. Bless this time, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So in case you're wondering, these uh, young people that were here with us today didn't just happen to show up. So uh, many of us are uh, very pleased, pleased to see Abby back with us, and uh, she is at Karen University. And these students, that uh, friends of hers that came from Karen University um, to lead us in worship today. So we're thankful for that. And they do have a table set up. If you have any questions or you'd like to speak with them after regarding Karen University, please feel free to do so. Before I go into the reading for this morning, I want to throw in a little bit of a, a commercial here. So I'm going to read to you two verses, very familiar verses from Ephesians chapter 4, um, 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, this, this morning in Sunday school class, this verse just uh, came kind of relevant to me, um, related to Sunday school. And we are very, very blessed to have such great pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers, ministers, Lord, uh, ministers of the gospel, and the depth of knowledge that we can acquire, um, I just challenge you today, if you're not in the habit of coming to Sunday school, get up an extra hour early. It's one hour out of your life, and um, you will be blessed. And the teachers have put a lot of work into the lessons, and um, I've just been so appreciating that lately, and um, I would like to see more people um, gaining from that as well. So please set your alarms a little early. It won't hurt. Okay, that's my commercial. All right, before James comes this morning, I want to be reading to you um, the passage that we'll be studying this morning as we continue in Genesis, um, 8th chapter, starting with the 20th verse. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird in the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Unto your hand they are delivered. Every morning, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your life, Rudd, I will require reckoning from every beast. I will require it 
and from every man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Children can be dismissed for junior church. <laughs> and for the rest of you, uh, keep your uh, Bibles open to Genesis chapter 8. Um, from those from Karen University, thank you so much um, for your service to us today. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, Abby, welcome back. So. Uh, for those of you that are new, we've been working through uh, the book of Genesis. We're going to be working through Genesis 1 through 11 over the, uh, well, we have been working through Genesis 1, and we will be getting to Genesis 11, and then weeks after, I guess after the new year, after the new year. And Noah's flood is not really a children's story. I was listening to a sermon this week, and that's how they started the sermon, that Noah's flood, or the flood, is not a children's story. Yet, uh, if I remember back to our three kids, I think we had over their bassinet and over their crib uh, this little thing, and it had Noah, and an ark, and it had the animals coming out, and a rainbow over it. But really, when you sit down and think about it, it's a terrifying story of judgment. I think we read over it pretty quickly that there was a flood that surrounded the earth and people died. But if you really sit down and think about 
the, the terror that must have been there. I, I, I can't imagine drowning seems to be one of the more horrific ways to leave this earth. And when there is a flood that surrounds the earth and every living creature gets submerged into that water, I can't imagine the terror that may be there. Um, if you ever get a chance, there's this picture drawn by uh, a man, I believe, Dory, D-O-R-E. I dare not show it here um, because, well, we have children here, but I tell you, if you look at that drawing, it's not the typical drawing that you think of when you think of Noah's, the flood. You see the trauma, the terror that is on the faces of the people. And so when you think about Noah's flood, first I want you to think about the fact that it is not a children's story. But when you think of Noah's flood, second, I want you to think about it as a theological story. There's a lot of theology that is there um, behind it. And when you think about it, I want you to think about the fact that there is a holy God. You know, in Isaiah it says, holy, holy, holy. And I think it's the only characteristic God that is ever raised, I think Sproul said this, to the third level. It's never said love, 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 never says goodness, goodness, goodness in scripture. It says holy, holy, holy is God. And so God is holy, but man, humanity is sinful. We could see that. We've heard it from the pastors as they've been preaching that there is this evil and corrupt nature that is within us over the intentions of our heart are evil continually. God is trying to tell you that very honestly, outside of his grace, we are just sinner after sinner after sinner. So God is holy. Man is sinful. God is wrathful. That's the other theology that you see here. God, in his wrath, pushed Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. God, in his wrath, put a judgment upon Cain. And God, in his wrath, judged all of humanity. God is holy. Man is sinful. God is wrathful. We deserve his judgment. I don't think that the average person in this world, if you ask them what God thinks of them or should they get to heaven, they would probably think I could get to heaven on my good merits and my, my good things that I do. But the reality is, is that every person that I'm looking at and every person that can hear my voice deserves the judgment of God, eternal judgment, separation from him. Because God is holy, man is sinful, God is wrathful, we deserve judgment, but yet the beauty out of Noah's Ark is that God is gracious. He could have wiped us all out. And in fact, when you, next week, you'll hear about Noah getting out of the Ark and he started sinning and his son started sinning and we just started sinning again. But God is gracious. So as you read this terrifying story, I want you to keep in mind those basic principles. God is holy. I am sinful. God is wrathful. He is a judge. I deserve his judgment. Yet, and in spite of all of that, he is a gracious and kind and compassionate God that pursues you. Keep that in mind. So my outline today is pretty simple. Three points. Uh, the faithfulness of God in verses 20 through 22 in um, chapter 8, the faithfulness of God, then the sanctity of human life, 
the beginning part of Genesis 9, verses 1 through 7, and then the covenant with Noah, verses um, 8 through 17. So the faithfulness of God, the sanctity of life, and the covenant with Noah. Well, let's start with the faithfulness of God. As we saw here, thanks Dave for reading it, it says here in um, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, then Noah built an ark, to the, uh, an altar to the Lord, and took some of the clean animals and some from every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. So we, we begin, and this pivotal moment, this, this, tri- this judgment that has been poured out upon the earth, the very thing that happens as soon as Noah gets out of the ark, is he worships, which I think is really instructive for us, that when we understand God's guilt, our guilt, and God's amazing grace, it should lead to gratitude in our hearts and our lives. It should lead to thank you, Lord. That is, Noah gets out of the ark with his family, and he gets out of the ark with all of these animals. I could be like one of those dead ones, yet you were submerged under the water, and you lifted me above the water. I really like that line, Tim, from last week. That God took judgment upon himself so that you could be lifted up away from that judgment. And, and Noah gets out of that ark, and he, he praises God. He emerges from the ark, and the very first act is so profound. He takes a burnt offering, and he burns this offering of clean animals and clean birds. And it's not merely just an expression of gratitude, but it is a sign, I believe, of pointing to an atonement that we need to be made right with God. And the clean animals, you could read in Leviticus chapter 1 about how that kind of dedication, what would happen is that those animals would be offered and it was a propitiation, an appeasement, a covering of your sin. And so every time you did that and every time an animal died, it pre-focused the fact that you deserve to die, but God has granted you grace upon grace. Something else died so that you could live. Amazing. I love this point in verse 21. It says that this aroma, it says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. I was trying to write it down, Dave, as you were reading it. I think I heard four or five times where God says, never again, never again, never again, never again. Now our sins are continual, but God's grace is over and over again. He says, I will never again wipe you all out like I did with this flood. This smell, this aroma was, was beautiful. And this aroma, the Hebrew word behind it, talks about the sense of rest and tranquility and level of peace. And it actually, it kind of sounds like Noah's name. And that in Genesis chapter 5, it said, out of the ground, Noah saying, out of the ground, the Lord has cursed all that was bring relief from the work, I'm sorry, brings us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And and linguistically, it kind of sounds like Noah's name, a person that brings comfort, that God is bringing you comfort in the midst of this misery. And it kind of reminds me of what Jesus Christ did for us, that he brought you comfort out of the midst of the misery. And in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus, and to put him to grief when his soul was making an offering for guilt, and he shall see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will 
prosper in his hands. Like the God through Christ was offering you grace upon grace upon grace because he was plunged under this for you. So Noah built an altar. It was smelling and a pleasing aroma to God. But in verse 21, it gives us a sense of God's promise to you. God's promise to you and to all of humanity, despite the nature of humanity, which is just continually sinful. We got out of the ark and we are sinful, sinful, every one of you and me, sinful, sinful in the thoughts and the words and the attitudes of our heart. We haven't changed. But God's attitude towards us, I'll never again curse this ground, ever again. The promise is not a revocation of the promise back in Genesis 3. Every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us, a wage of sin is death. All of us deserve eternal punishment. And all of us need the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. That curse has not been removed. But this curse against the ground and then this global catastrophe, I will not do that ever again in this way. And he makes this covenant. This promise to Abraham, and it's a promise to you. And uh, covenants are interesting. Covenants are not like contracts. Today we have contracts, and contracts, you could break a contract pretty easy. You get some lawyer, find a loophole behind it, and you could get away out of that contract. But that's not, a, that's not what a covenant is. A covenant, biblically, is unilateral. Ultimately, this kind of covenant is between God and God. God is making a promise to you. It has nothing to do with you. God is promising you these things. So he, he's making, a, in this noetic covenant, he's saying, I will never do this again. It's unilateral. But when God makes a promise, this kind of promise, it's eternal. It lasts forever because his word cannot change. So it's, uni, it's unilateral. It's eternal, but it is always based on grace. We'll see other covenants that are going to come out the Noetic Covenant, which we're having now, the Abrahamic Covenant. We'll see the Davidic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant's a little bit different. The Mosaic Covenant is based on conditions. You do this, I'll do this. You do this, I'll do this. But most of the other covenants are about what God promises to do for you in spite of you, which is so important to keep in mind. In verse 22, it says this, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God promises continuity of the seasons. He, he promises that he's going to reestablish life and reestablish this priority. The aspect of God's promise to you is that he's going to keep things going in spite of you, which is so cool. So theologically, in my mind, what do I see? I see atonement, like Adam, I'm sorry, Noah, is making a sacrifice. He is, something died so that it predates and shows what Christ is going to do for you. Atonement and propitiation, that I'm a sinner and I deserve to die, but I, this blood was shed so that it covers my sin. That's clear in this passage. It's also clear in this passage that God is a gracious God in spite of your sinfulness. He is constantly loving you. He is constantly pursuing you. But I guess the other part that we probably should think about is this. God's patience does come to an end, eventually. That's what happened with Noah's, the flood. He said for a hundred years to these people, as the, as the ark is being built in front of them, that I am warning you that judgment is coming. And eventually the day came where God's judgments came. 
So keeping in mind that God is, is holy and God is wrathful and we are sinful and God is a judge and we deserve his judgment, but he is gracious, but that grace will eventually come to an end with judgment upon this person. I wonder, yes, I was looking at this passage, what, 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 is this, what does it mean by sin? What does he mean? I love this theologian, John Frame, and he has this way of, of putting things into threes. I, I don't know, my mind kind of works this way. And when he talks about a righteous act that you do and I do, he looks at it in three ways. One, you need to apply God's word. You need to be obedient to God's word, number one. Number two, you have to have a desire to glorify God and to advance his kingdom, two. And then number three, you need to believe him, trust him, and love him. So to have a righteous action in your life, you need to be following God's word, do it for God's glory, and you need to be trusting him and loving him. That is why when you look at the world and some guy gives a million dollars to some hospital and they get their name on the hospital, you sit there and say, they did a good deed. But in God's eyes, that's not a good deed. Why? Because they weren't necessarily doing it according to his word. They weren't necessarily doing it for his glory because they wanted their name on the hospital. And it wasn't about faith in God or love for God. It was about them. And so when you think about sin, sin hits each one of those areas. I disobey your word, God. I seek my own glory, and I don't believe you. And anytime you and I do that in thought, word, attitude, or action, we are sinning. And we put ourselves under guilt because we break God's law. And we put ourselves under punishment. And we are contaminated because there is something within this, this rebel within me, that constantly wants to rebel against God. So when you think about sin, man, I, I break God's law in so many ways. What is the answer? The answer is grace. It has to be grace. The only way that you can be rescued from yourself or rescued from sin is a savior. It's grace. It's gratitude, it's beauty, it's mercy, it's kindness. So he begins here by saying this, the faithfulness of God in spite of the sinfulness of humanity, that's the first thing I see here. The second thing starts in the first um, seven verses of chapter nine, the sanctity of human life, which is interesting. I want you to see this flow. I've destroyed all of humanity except for you. I've destroyed all of the animal world except for those that are in the ark. Yet, in my grace, I'm providing for you. And life is sacred. Watch what he says. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Where does that sound like it's from? Genesis 1 and 2, right? So that when, when God created the world, what did he do? He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Well, there is no people except for these that came out of the ark. So now what do you need to do? Be fruitful and multiply. That's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to propagate. I want you to procreate. I want you to have more and more children. I want you to spread out. 
It's the blessing that he gave to Adam. It's the same blessing that he's giving to Noah and to his children. Noah, in essence, not really the second Adam, because the second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ, but he becomes a type of Adam, that now there's a creation, and now I want you to go out there and spread the world. It's interesting today, we live in a society where people will say, I don't want to have children. I just don't want them. And it's like there was something that I wonder about that because God says one of the blessings, he said, is, is children. Now, some of us are not able to have children. I got that. But there's some of us that just make a personal choice that says, I don't want them. And I wonder, is that really what God is, is ordaining? Clearly, it's not here. In verses two and three, it says this, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of heaven, upon everything that creeps in the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hands they are delivered, every moving thing that shall be for food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. So there's this change in this human-animal relationship. Now, I am not positive of this, but I believe it's possible that we were vegetarians up until this point. I could be wrong. Clearly, in the garden, God had told them to eat from the plants and the fruit. I don't know if I saw any other place where he talked about their food. Now, Doug can probably tell me better. But now, clearly, you can eat an animal. But but now there's only a handful of people getting off the ark and they're all of these big animals now. And what God does is this, to protect your life, he puts a fear into those animals so that they won't run, run, run away from you. Because if not, they would overwhelm you. And he's the protection of human life, the sanctity of human life, he's protecting you even from the animals. They have a fear of you, they run away. And those that do attack you, the Bible have said, do what? Kill them. Because if they take a human life, the sanctity of your life, if an animal takes your life, that animal goes down. Because he is saying that your life is sacred. And he says your life is sacred in the fact that he saved humanity. He's saying your life is sacred in the fact that he's protecting you from animals. He's actually saying that you can actually eat animals now. And when you eat, I think part of the reason why he did this is this. When you eat, you shed blood of an animal. Something dies so that you live. And it's constantly pointing you back to gospel. Someone had to die so that you could live. And so every day, I love steak. Every day, I don't have steak every day, I don't have that wallet. But whenever I have steak, it's on my plate, but something had to die so that I could live. So, so God is, is saying that I want you to spread humanity. I want you to continue to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to protect you from the animal world because I'm going to put a fear of you in them. And then he talks about blood. He says in verse 4, But you shall not eat of flesh with its life, that is the blood, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast that I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning. 
for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So what is he saying here? He's saying, okay, I am protecting you because I want you to spread and have more children. I am protecting you from animals that would want to take your life, and then I am protecting you from even humanity that wants to take your life. If a human being takes the life of another human being in a violent way, they deserve to die. God is coming out of this judgment in the flood, he is saying that your life is sacred. It's, it's important to me. I mean, the theology behind this is huge. There's so many things we could think of, but I want you to think of the value of human life. There are some people in here and some people out there that you disagree with violently. You disagree with their beliefs. I got you. But their lives are valuable. They are created in the image of God. I cannot stand this political season. I turn off the TV because I cannot handle the anger and the vitriol. I cannot stand it. And people who claim to be Christians just attack, 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 attack. There's one thing to attack principles and beliefs. It's another thing to attack people. And we attack people with enmity today. I want you to value human life. I want you to think theologically as well. You are responsible for creation. God had established Adam to rule over creation. We are called to rule over this world. Doesn't mean that I don't use an animal to eat it. I will probably eat some type of animal today. But it does mean that I don't treat animals wrongly. I don't mistreat my society. I'm driving down the road and there's trash. People just throwing trash. It just drives me nuts that people throw trash out their cars. <laughs> Disgust me. Do we try to protect this world that God has given us? That is huge theology of what's coming out of this. Your life is sacred. He talks about capital punishment. <laughs> Um, I don't know what your viewpoints are regarding capital punishment, but the reality is, is that God established when somebody takes their life in a heinous way, their lives are to be taken, a life for a life. It's sad in our society that we've become so um, lacking when it comes to life, whether it's life in the womb or life at the end. We don't value life, but God valued life so much so that if you took a person's life, you deserve to have your life taken. And so God is establishing a sanctity of life. He is establishing a, pro a procreation in life. He is establishing the protection of humanity from animals and from other people. And he says this, he gives you this blessing right here at the end, verse seven. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. Now, God knew that every time a baby was born, that baby was going to be born a little sinner. <laughs> and they're going to sin in thought, word, attitude, and action. They're going to kind of spread that sin thing. But God's grace is greater than sin, which is huge. Number one, God wanted us to understand his faithfulness. Number two, he wanted you to understand the sanctity of life. But number three, he promises you a covenant through Noah. Watch, look at verse eight through the end. The covenant with Noah, a promise. He says this, 
And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I will establish my covenant with you. Now remember what we said about covenant. Covenant is unilateral. This type of covenant is unilateral. It's just God. It is eternal because God makes a promise. It lasts forever. And it's always of grace. It's based on grace. So keep that in mind. I'm making this covenant with you. God is promising this to you. Well, he promised it to Noah, but it's based to you as well. He says in verse 10, um, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the field of earth, that you, as well as those who came out of the ark, it will be for every beast of the field. So the blessing is this, our sin, I should flip it, our sin affected not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another and our relationship with creation. What God is saying is this, I'm going to pour blessing upon you. I'm going to try to reestablish your relationship with one another. And I'm also going to bless creation, the created order here. Okay. And so now he goes in verse 11. I will establish my covenant with you. Then never again, another time, never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. And never again shall the floods be destroying the earth. And God said, and this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me, that every living creature that is with you for all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. It's interesting that he, he talks about this covenant. He says it's universal, so it's not just you. It's across this universe. And it's unlike the Mosaic covenant. It's not about your obedience. It's about God's promise to you. And he promises to preserve us. And he promises to propel us into a, a life of abundance that we don't deserve. And then he gives you a sign in the clouds. And it's interesting, I just, I, why I believe that the Bible and the God of the Bible is true, because you take the very sign that God offers of peace, and it has now been distorted, it has been devalued, it has been used for the very sins that God hates. And I feel for people that are caught in this lifestyle, caught in this mindset, because the world is telling them things. Now, they have a corrupt nature. I mean, they're, they're responsible. But the world is telling them that this is peace. This rainbow of their sin is peace. When this rainbow is pointing you to the fact that God is a God of judgment, and he offers you grace. So they take a very sign and that's why, you know, at Satan, what he does, he perverts everything that God is good. He takes what God gives you as good, he perverts it. And he distorts it. And sometimes for some of us as Christians, we want to give up the rainbow. Um, my wife had sandals on that had rainbows on them. And it's like, you know, I'm not even sure I should rain or wear them any longer. And it's like, 
It's so sad that we as Christians have to give up the sign that was ours in the first place from God. Don't. God is a God of faithfulness. He's a God of mercy. You are humanly responsible. God is giving you the sign of his precious covenant, his promise to you. You need to live in light of that promise. And so every time you see a rainbow, don't think about the sin. I want you to think about the beautiful Savior that bled and died so that promise can be made real in your life. I want you to think about a God who could have punished us all in eternity in hell, and he instead granted you grace. He is a faithful God. When you see that rainbow in the sky, I want you to think about the sanctity of human life that God has told you to procreate, and he's protecting you even from the animal world and even from other human beings. I want you to think of that kind of God, that promise-keeping God, when you see that bow in the sky. But I found it interesting that those are all the ways that you can remember God and what he's done. But that's not what God said. If you actually read it, he says that when I see the bow in the skies, I, God, will remember my promise to you. See, it's not just you remembering because I forget a lot. It's God's remembrance. He never forgets. He never fails. He keeps his word and his word is sure. You can trust him. I love that. So let me just try to bring this home. The faithfulness of God, the sanctity of life, the covenant with Noah. Let me just bring it home with some points before we go. First, for those that are anxious in this room, there are people that struggle with anxiety. Some of you struggle with constant fears and doubts and insecurities. I can be one of them at times. It's at that point that we need to remind ourselves of assurance. God is a God who's a promise keeper. He assured Noah coming out of the ark. He assured humanity by saying, I will allow you to procreate. He assures us in the fact that I will protect you. He assures you with the promise in the sky. And then he assures you with greater than that, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the times of your anxiety, all the cataclysmic things, I lost a really good friend this, uh, this week, uh, and I can't imagine what their family's going through right now. Just at a he was just at his daughter's wedding two weeks ago, and he took his last breath this week. I, I can't imagine what their family must be going through right now. I, I will say this. In the midst of all the anxieties, in the midst of all the troubles, I want you to know that God is a God who wants to assure you. He wants to give you hope. His hope is blood-bought, though. His hope is not in you. His hope is in him and his son and what he has done for you. And see, that's where you place your hope. That is where you place your assurance. That rainbow is a sign, but that sign is looking past just Noah and the flood. That rainbow is looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is a promise keeper. God is faithful. In the midst of all the judgment, in the midst of all the struggles, I want you to constantly hear, God is holy, we are sinful, God is wrathful, I deserve his judgment, yet he has granted me grace. And if you can constantly keep that in the focus of your heart and life and say that I have received his blessed promises, 
I deserve nothing because I have nothing in my hands to bring. Simply to his cross I cling. There's a second thing I want you to keep in mind before we go. Noah's obedience. Noah, for a hundred years, have we heard these two men preach, a hundred years built an ark. And he was being attacked probably day after day for doing the godly thing. And yet he did it for a hundred years. He was never promised when the floods were coming. He just says, build, God told him, build an ark. And it took him a hundred years to build it. And he's preaching to people. But he had to believe God. And his obedience came out of his belief in God. Remember what Frame said? It's not just obeying God's word. It's about the glory of God, but it's believing God and loving him. That's what, well, that's what Noah did. He followed God's word. He did it for God's glory. And he believed God and he loved him. So I want you to see Noah's obedience in the world. It was just him against the world. Sometimes it's just one of us, one person that is attacking you and you want to back down. He has the world that's going against him. And he continues because of faith. Trust and what? Obey. There's no other way. His faith led to obedience. His faith led to a reverential fear of God. His faith showed out his salvation. So important. So I want you to remember the promises of God, one. I want you to remember Noah's obedience, two. And then finally, what's most important, I want you to remember the ultimate fulfillment in Christ. See, it's, it's Noah's ark, but it points us to a cross. That's really the issue. Once again, I love that line. Christ was submerged under the wrath of God so that you could be raised above it. It's exactly what happened in the ark, but that is exactly what happened at the cross. See, at the cross, because a holy God looks upon you, I want you to think about at the cross, there's a holy God and there's a loving God, and they're coming together at the exact same time. Holy justice and holy love are coming together in one place on the cross. God's holy anger for your sin, but God's holy love for humanity comes together in the person and the work of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him, God the Father made Christ the Son to be sin for you. This holy, harmless Son of God, perfect and blameless, never became a sinner, but he took upon himself your sin, your deserved wrath. He took it. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him, Christ, we might become what? The righteousness of God. So how can God look at this sinner who sins in thought, word, attitude, and action as righteous? Because he applies the perfect life of Christ to me and to you if you trust in him. So I want you to think about Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now what? I can't hear you. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Christ bore your condemnation so that you can stand in his righteousness. In 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ was suffered once for sin, the righteous one, Christ, for the unrighteous, you, that he might bring us to God. 
See, that ark took his family to safety. Jesus Christ, the ark takes you to the safety of a relationship with the Father. Today, I want you to hope that you live under a new covenant. We don't live under a Mosaic covenant where if you do this, you get this. If you don't do this, you don't get this. We don't live under the Mosaic covenant. We live under a covenant of grace. I guess we do live under a covenant of works because it was Jesus Christ who lived perfectly and righteously for you. He fulfilled every work that you should have. He fulfilled it perfectly. But you live in a covenant of grace because your salvation is not based on anything that you ever do. It is based on Christ alone. Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our what? Life, our faith, our song. He's a cornerstone. He's a solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, can't remember the last line. Striving ceases. I like that one. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of God, we stand. Would you pray with me? Father, um, the flood is not a children's story. It's a story of your wrath and our sinfulness, your holiness, and our deserved judgment. And Father, we look at people swept away from an earthly life, but we don't actually even consider the fact that they were swept into an eternal separation from you as well. And Father, very honestly, that's exactly what we all deserve. All of us will take our last breath and die someday. What we deserve is eternal separation from you, but the beauty of your gospel is that you sent your son to be submerged under your wrath for us so that we can rise above it. And Father, I pray that this children's story would be a story of grace in our hearts and minds. Now, I know, Lord, I don't know who they are, but you do. There are people here that do not know your son, not trusted him. Maybe they've heard the gospel over and over again. Maybe they've been from one Christmas to another, one Easter to another, and they have never bent their knee to your son. I pray today that they would trust him. I pray today would be the day that they would say no to themselves, to breaking your law, no to them, their own glory, no to disbelief and hatred, but yes to surrendering to you. Father, you're the one that has to change their hearts by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would open hearts today. I pray that you open eyes today. I pray that you would humble people and draw them to faith in you. For the many of us that, that do know you, Lord, Jesus, I pray that we would go out of here not only looking at the bow in the sky, but the cross on the hill, the tomb that is empty, the Savior that is ascended, the Savior that is enthroned, and the Savior that we will bend our knee before one day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
struggles and that because your son died on the cross for us and rose again we get to be with you we are so grateful that we are able to gather together to praise you and worship you we are so blessed to know you and know your love thank you for this service and for all that you provide for us in jesus name we pray amen Amen. 